I'm going to speak tonight about the hindrances, but what I'd like to do first, I'm going to um, go on a little of what Jack talked about last night, but first just to um, sort of get into my, um, my own space and create a sort of um, sanctified space for this. I'd like you to close your eyes and just be with your breath for a moment. And what I'd like you to do is to connect with your body. And what we're going to do is just start at the top of the head and allow our attention to just be there for a moment, experiencing whatever sensations or just allowing ourselves to be in that area for a moment. And just like water of awareness being poured down from the sky, allowing that attention now to slowly descend the front and the back and to each side of the head, down through the face, back of the head, to the neck, the shoulders and Experiencing whatever is there, just in the level of sensation, through the arms, down to the hands and fingers, and allowing your attention again to come back to the shoulders, and slowly allowing your attention now to go down to the front and the back of the torso at the same time. Letting it go down to the chest and heart, and down to the diaphragm, and stomach, and the intestines and the hip joints and the buttocks on the pillow or chair or bench that you're on. Allowing it to go through both legs simultaneously, down to the knees and the calves and the ankles and the feet. And now experiencing the whole body and the breath in the center of that body. And now you can open your eyes and but keep your attention in your body. Be aware of what what kind of messages are there. What does it feel like? What kind of sensations are there? These Dharma talks are about the meditation of listening, being present, keeping our attention here in our bodies, and the eyes and the ears and the different things that go on. A lot of times when I give talks, uh, I don't know if my mind's slow or fast, but sometimes they're long pauses. And a friend of mine who's been studying Zen for a long time says, that's really where the talks are. They're in the long pauses.
What I'd like to talk about first is that this is on coming from Jack's talk last night on Buddhist psychology. Is I was here two years ago and I talked about experience of, well, I was basically a, a sadhu type in India running around and uh, living in the uh, caves and incendiary places that were. Uh, where introverts love to live, and uh, I stayed out of the, I stayed out of the monasteries a lot of the time. Uh, sort of Han Shan, who was a uh, kind of a mountain man, who uh, was sort of my hero. Anyway, what I'd like to continue on here with was that. Um, in later on, as I went back to Asia and stuff, I got involved in their art. I loved the Tibetan art and the, the um, tankas and the statues, and became involved in um, the buying and selling of them, uh, bringing them back to this country. And one of these loving mandalas and. It's called the Wheel of Life, and I'd like to just, I'm going to give a short description of that. Actually, there's one in the library. If you walk into the library through the main doors, there's one uh, hanging from the wall there. And it's a great description of um, this plane of existence and, and about ourselves, sort of the Buddhist psychology, this is kind of the Buddhist cosmology. So, um, the first thing is in the center of this is a pig and a snake and a cock. And they are all biting each other's tails. And the snake is a thing that bites itself, it has poison. And that's really our anger, the aversion. And the cock is always seen as the running through the hen house and is this always wanting the uh, greed side of ourselves. And the pig is always digging, rooting in the ground and putting mud over its eyes and face and uh, is the uh, metaphor for delusion. So this is sort of the center of this process. On the outside of it, holding this all together, and this is really the, the wheel of life, of what we, uh, how we are. And there's a tiger, a very ferocious tiger, who clings to this, and who has lots of beautiful jewelry on, and uh, is in the, really the enticing impermanence that uh, we are uh, so... Uh, easily caught in, and this is this wheel is is held by that uh, that tiger that's ferocious, but at the same time beautifully dressed, uh, has expensive and wonderful jewelry on, and in this, of course, in this jewelry are five also five skulls which represent the. Uh, really the components of what we are, which is that of matter, of, um, of sensations, of mental formations, of perception, of consciousness. It's just kind of the field that we exist in. In the center, there usually, in the one in, in I, I saw in the library only has five, but it's usually six um, really fields of existence. And they're extremely, there's the sort of our contracted state, which are that of the hell realms or the, those places where we uh, 
really uh, condense in darkness up to the lightest realms, which are the heaven realms or those of the most expansive types of situations. And these happen, there's something that continuously we live in. Uh, we can experience all these realms, whether heavens and hells, it's this wonderful quality of being a human being. That we can go from the depth of feeling um, grief and sadness and physical pain to feeling light and happy and in love. And then in the side realms, there's, there's the heaven and the hell, and then there's this human realm, and there's a realm of a hungry ghost, which is a realm where we get caught in where uh, it's that state of always wanting, and it always has this uh, has a picture of a person with a big belly and a real small mouth. And then on the other side is that of the animal realm, which is uh, really about our uh, sensual, um, um, natural habits, really, that arise and uh, move us. And then there's the heaven realm, which I'd mentioned, and then there's a, what they call a jealous God realm. And that's really about am, our ambition. And we are uh, quite, um, there's a lot of light and creativity, a lot of concentration. And again, we grab onto the, to the, um, that one of those inner circle things of greed and pull on that one. So that's kind of uh, this, this part of the circle. Then the most important is the outer circle itself, which is, a, which, which is the laws of dependent origination. And it's how things arise in a moment and um, really happen. And it, they have, it's a beautiful description. It has first an, an old woman who is walking uh, blind through a forest. In this forest, a lot of times, uh, will have uh, trees that no longer have leaves on them, and the river will be black. And it really has to do with ignorance, and that we are part of that. And the rivers run black because we have, we, without knowing it, we pollute our rivers. Um, we cut down our forests. We uh, um, pollute our air. And that's really sort of the, the substance of this ignorance, the beginning, this moment which arises. The second in that uh, moment is that of, of a potter who uh, has broken pots and good pots. And it's really the, uh, our karma of um, good deeds we've done and bad deeds we've done. And they arise uh, in this moment, as, as that arises, then rebirth consciousness, or this uh, moment of knowing arises. Well, it's not really knowing, it's just consciousness, simple, uh, naked. And in that, it always has a monkey jumping from tree to tree. Because it's, oh, it's, we never know. It's sort of like a roulette wheel, is our karma. It goes around, we don't know where it's going to stop. And that's the moment that we have, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But it's, this is already a given. It's not a place that we uh, have control over. And the next one is that of a boat. And, and that one is just to be, to know that after this karma arises, good or bad, that in that moment, there is a boatman and a passenger. And the boatman who steers that boat is our mind. 
and to be aware of that. And our body follows along after that. The next one is that of a house. And this house, as, as this moment has risen where mind and body arise, then um, at that moment our five senses are there in our mind. The moment that those five senses in the mind are there, that there is that moment of contact. Traditionally in the Tibetan Tanka, they have a person with an arrow in each eye, which is a little extreme. But again, it's body and mind. And in some paintings you will find that it only have one arrow in the eye. And it really represents the fact that uh, the body, there is nothing we can do about it. It is something that uh, is there. It has its, in a sense, its own life. Is when you're born, uh, it's going to you know, do its thing, go along, and eventually um, get old and die. That's its nature. But the mind, that's different. That is extra, the suffering that comes from that. Those arrows, that's the feeling that the moment the contact is made, there is feeling. When there's feeling, then at that moment, um, we have then a a choice, basically. And that... um, in the paintings, it always has someone who's, who, who's eating and uh, just sort of, uh, well, stuffing, stuffing it in would be the right word, I guess. And it's not just the wanting, but it's, it can also be the not wanting of it, the either the pushing away of the experience or the grasping onto the experience at that time. It's really at this point that we have a chance of um, really, I guess if the word free will was there, it would be there. Because at that moment, we have a choice of whether to react to that experience or we can either, the next thing is we would crave after that. We would be craving either more of it or we would be craving to push that experience away from us. And again, that's uh, at that point it's basically a craving is about just uh, either stuffing ourselves and I mean the, the picture is stuffing oneself. And the next level of it is that that once the craving is there, then the clinging, the holding on to that experience happens. And when that holding on to that experience um, in the picture, it's uh, usually a, a fruit bowl and someone's picking fruit, and they just keep filling it up. When, when, you're, when it's already full, you just keep putting more and more into it. And once you've put so much of, into that, then the next stage of it is that um, 
We want it to be different than it is. And it's uh, represented in the paintings as a pregnant woman, in the sense that at that point we um, either want it to be better, or we don't want it to be like it was. And then from that, again, the birth, and then the decay, well, the illness decay, and then death. And it's really, this is the wheel of causation, and it goes around, it goes around in, in just a fraction of a moment. It goes around in a day. We can watch a day and watch this same process happen. Uh, you don't have to extend it into lifetimes or anything like that. That's uh, really extra. But I think the reason that I brought it up is that when talking about the hindrances, um, understanding this whole sort of uh, the gamut of the human condition that we're in, this uh, thing about clinging and craving, and that this possibility, I love the description of, of um, of in, in one of the pictures, they usually have a little temple, and this is for the, um, the it's a temple or a house, and they have five windows and one door. And it represents our five senses, our seeing, our hearing, our smelling, our tasting, uh, our sense, uh, our touch, and then the door being our mind. And somehow in, this, in the process of meditation, this process of, of really uh, being here and going through this tremendous amount, I mean, I, I think this, the second day, and here you are, and uh, the amount of fogginess that goes through your mind and the tiredness and the, uh, of coming in and bringing all the things from Christmas in with you and, and um, all our uh, stories. We have this simple job of just sitting in the center of this room with five windows and this one door. And our job is just to stay there. That's all it is. It's just to stay there and sit in the middle of this. And what happens? These hindrances are things that arise and come in through those six sense doors, the mind being that sixth one, five. The first of them that comes in is this one of desire. And it's really not that desire is bad or anything. Um, it's really about sensual desire. I, my daughter during Christmas time, she had a great Christmas. She's nine years old. She got just about everything she wanted this, this round. I mean, in the sense of, you know, the little list that she had. And she's very, very precise and particular. And she actually got it all, all the things on that list. You know, there was the troll and the you know, little bed for her baby and all this stuff. And about an hour after all the presents were open, there was a great silence. And I went in and I sat down in the living room for a moment. And she came in and she sat on my lap. And I said, well, what's up? Anything great? She said, no. <laughs> I said, well, what is it? You know, what's, what's, why would it be uh, any different than it is? I mean, you got all those things. And she, she sat there, and I could just feel the, this pensive uh, uh, person just sitting there. And, and actual, uh, she was really sad. She was sad. She had gotten the things she wanted. And she realized that wasn't it. You know? And she's invested, it must have been, you know, I'm sure there must have been six weeks of big-time investment in this Christmas trip. It was just uh, 
amazing. I mean, she had little catalogs, you know, in her room. <laughs> Go through and point the stuff out. Hankering, it's a good word. You know, hankering after, hankering after physical and mental pleasure. It's not the thing itself. It's the hankering that's the problem. It's that thing about the craving. You know, because experiences rise, they're fine. You know, there's a pleasurable moment, great. But it's just a moment. And it is the fact that uh, in this wheel of causation that sometimes a moment arises and there are moments after it which are very similar to that last moment. And so if it's a happy moment of uh, something where there's some pleasure, then there's, it slowly, gradually <laughs> fades away. And then these, this cycle starts again. And it's sort of the roulette wheel, <laughs> really. You don't know what's going to happen. We have no... Uh, in the way of knowing. Our whole economy, in that way, of those toys and everything, it's all run on those ideals of uh, creating sensual pleasure for people. You know? And we're really uh, programmed to think that that will work. Of course, we're all here because we know, hopefully by now, that that's not all. Another thing that comes up is just one of those things that it's amazing that you come to a retreat and you sit and um, this thing of Vipassana romances, of just where these uh, feelings have come up on oneself, and one notices, you know, somebody off from the side of their eye, and then they just in a it could be just a just a moment, it's just a second view when you're supposed to be looking down. You look up and you see something, and then boom, you're hooked, and then you play out this whole fantasy. It's just it's absolutely amazing what we create, you know. It's a real, in a way, um, this is the, uh, what is it, the laboratory here, the fishbowl of, uh, of observing these states as they rise and pass away. So desire is that one side, uh, which is really, a lot of times I, I, I think of those little dolls that move back and forth. Uh, they have the weight at the bottom. And it's, we're sort of like that in a way that, that we're going forward towards something, sort of towards desire, and then the next moment, you know, we don't like what's happening, so we push ourselves back, so we're in this kind of continual motion of it. And that state of um, aversion or ill will or anger, uh, it's a tremendous, um, you know, um, force that, again, it's those, just, our job is to stay in the middle of this little building that's got these five, uh, five sense doors in the mind, and uh, it come, these experiences come in, we can be with them for a few minutes, uh, sometimes a lot longer, um, and they're just visitors, they just come in for a little while. And this whole process is just a uh, impermanent process, rising and passing away. And but we need to make friends and know who these um, really um, mental states are. Uh, this was in a retreat that I was helping manage in India. It was up in the mountains and it was September and usually the monsoons are over at that time. And um, it was, it, 
was pouring rain and storming and the wind was blowing in the trees and it was this very old hotel in the mountains. And somehow, uh, I don't know if the lights went out, I'm not sure how this happened, but I had an alarm clock. I was the bell ringer. <coughs> so all of you bell ringers will, will uh, understand, well, what this happened, what happened. And somehow the alarm went off at one o'clock in the morning. And I don't know, my flashlight didn't work or something like that. So I took the bell and went out. <laughs> and went in everybody's room, you know, and woke everybody. Well, this is India, of probably 1970 or 71. I'm not sure when it was. And um, probably most people didn't have watches. <laughs> or if they did, they weren't going to look at them. So they all ended up in the hall. This is just a minute. And I went back to my room, and I'd seen a clock by then. And I sat there for the next, I don't know, three or four hours. It was the most terrible thing. I mean, I was in absolute um, states of aversion, anger, like, you know, what had I done? <laughs> you know, what was I going to do? Was I going to go in the hall? And <laughs> I didn't. But just the amount of resistance, the aversion that, that plays in, the, in all the mind games, it's, it's interesting how um, when there's an unpleasant feeling in the body, um, how quickly, uh, it just habits we've learned since children, whatever, you'll jump into fantasy. And it can be uh, just somehow terrible. <laughs> terrible things. I know that that was my whole experience, was just trying to stay with the experience and then jumping into fantasy of what, you know, it's going to get you know, beat up or something. <laughs> and actually people thanked me. Some people who, some people did anyway. I said, wow, I never had it. <laughs> didn't realize. <laughs> Went on so long. fighting with the pain which causes the suffering of really the resistance. And anger is such, a, uh, it's such an amazing experience the way it's really uh, a sensual pleasure as well, our body-based experiences. And in this uh, little house that we have and we can sit in and be in in ourselves, that when those experiences arise, you have a chance to um, to notice what's happening, to become familiar with those states. <coughs> the next two. Uh, of these hindrances, uh, mental states which arise and come in slamming through the door. One of them I think we could be quite familiar with, some of you anyway, is sloth and torpor. And usually uh, at the beginning retreat, years ago when uh, I was doing uh, a lot of building, I would, I would come to retreat and sort of everything you would stay up late, try to get everything together, make sure everything was together, and then you'd arrive at the retreat and you'd be dead. You know, you walk in the door and it was the refuge. And uh, so I would usually sleep for the beginning of the retreat. And to understand that there is, there is a place in the sense that coming into this, that the, the body needs to uh, find its balance. It's kind of like riding a bicycle here. And at first you come in and, and uh, there's, uh, you have to have a lot of patience because of the, um, either you're coming in with um, a tremendous amount of tiredness or you're coming in and you just, there's also resistance to being here, which uh, creates these 
um, slothful in states of torpor. But first, just to recognize that they're not, uh, at least at the beginning of retreat, that have patience. And as we go along in the retreat, uh, we find that um, uh, it can come out of states, again, of that pushing back of aversion, that there's resistance to uh, being here and being present. So just to recognize the the two different parts of that uh, sloth and torpor. The other state, which is its opposite, and also um, a lot of times when people arrive, there's still the the busy mind is happening, and that's that state of restlessness, which um, is really the continual um, motion of the mind and body. The, the fifth one of these uh, is that of doubt. And it's probably the m- most difficult one, I think, to deal with in the sense that uh, it really prevents one from uh, acknowledging what's going on. I used to, uh, this was uh, with one of my teachers that (coughs) have 10-day retreats and there would always be people who wanted to leave. And so my job was to go and uh, talk to them uh, before they left. And it was a doubt, it's such an amazing thing. It's not... It's really just a string of words in your mind about what's happening. I guess if I could see it in some way, just this string of words, and, and it's about doubt. I mean, doubt is about you know, fear. And um, maybe some of that restlessness. This isn't the right time and the right place, or uh, I can do it later. <coughs> So what I'd like to uh, now switch, these are the, those states that come in and arrive and uh, stay for a little while in our little building there, is look at ways that we can deal with them, now that we hopefully can recognize them. Sensual desire, when it um, comes and knocks at the door and comes in and uh, sits itself down in our room and asks us, okay, I've got some great things, um, great stories for you to come flying out this window and see what's happening out here. And uh, you could get up from that seat and come out with me, couldn't you? And in this case, our job is just to sit there and to recognize what that is, what that is in ourselves, what that feels like in our body. Moderation is a a great help. When you identify it in the body, um, you can really um, reflect on the uh, impermanent phenomena that's happening, that it's only, it's just uh, this, like my daughter, is just there for a moment and all this wanting, and then, then what? 
that wanting goes away and is replaced by another one. And just being just being aware that that's that's the process that arises and passes away, and that this body is only we only it's a rent the body anyway. We got it for a little while. Again, anger, when it uh, comes as our visitor or aversion or pushing the experience away, to feel it fully in the moment, to really allow oneself to experience it, to recognize um, how it affects your body. And they talk about um, these simple words, burning, uh, burning in desire or burning with anger. And uh, they're more than just metaphors. They're really truths about the physical experience that happens in the body. And so just being able to um, stay with that when it arises, just put your full attention on what that is. Again, um, allow yourself to give it a lot of space. Again, both these states have the the desire and the aversion. Uh, When we do put our full attention on it, uh, to recognize that it's, it is easy to jump out into fantasy at that point. It's just the, the nature of um, the way we have habitually um, conditioned ourselves. The anger is also being able to reflect on the laws obvious conditioning, the causes, the karma. And just a reflection, seeing what happens when we don't, when we run out of the room chasing that anger. And first it's in the body and mind, and then pretty soon it's in our speech, maybe in our action. And to reflect on what that that does, where that goes, where that leads in this, this law of dependent origination, this causation, this law of causation. Reflecting on the, that of desire, probably the most extreme is reflecting on death. In the most extreme uh, with the aversion is that of that when we recognize, when we reflected and recognize this burning in ourselves, that we have some kind of really softening of the mind towards that experience, some loving kindness towards the state which arises and make friends with it. Not so easy, but it's uh, one of the ways we can deal with it. Sloth and torpor. Uh, Again, to recognize whether it's tiredness of body or whether it's really um, 
<coughs> resistance and um, an actual state that that uh, we can use our effort to address. We can stand up, we can open our eyes, we can walk, bring energy to the body in some way. If it becomes um, a habitual thing, then it's, there's a way of just entering that resistance as, as really aversion. and investigating the minuteness of what it is. With restlessness, had somebody who came to me once and he, um, when he sat, he would move the whole time. He would sit there and fidget and just, it would be this kind of movement. And it was that continuous state of agitation, restlessness, worry. It was interesting because I said, okay, just stop it. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> and it was amazing. He did stop it. And um, he got some concentration, and the restlessness, and the wor- a lot of the, the worry was still there in the middle of the night for him, but uh, in the sense of the, <laughs> the immediate restlessness, he, he really uh, allowed himself to pull back from that by just... Stilling the body in the same way that, um, is that the first aspect of it? Instilling the mind. Right? We can use a technique of counting, um, of uh, <coughs> being really precise about the labeling. Really helpful ways to, to deal with it. Doubt that uh, string of uh, really little little fears in our mind. It's a really difficult one, actually. somehow finding a way to create a safe space for ourselves. And sometimes that's through asking questions, um, reading, um, somehow finding a way to let go of the incessant string of thoughts which prevent us from being present. to be friends with them, to know them really well, <clears throat> accept them. They're only going to, the thing that's amazing about these hindrances is they come in and they stay for a while. And first they come and they stay and they cause quite a ruckus in the house. 
But if you befriend them after a while, they just don't stay as long. They come and they do their little song and dance. And sometimes, of course, we're going to go out the window and go running off with them or out to the door. And then, um, and then to have some kindness and patience about it and not have a lot of self-judgment about it. Simply just come back and say, okay, I'm going to start again. It's okay. I'd like to read this as a closing here. It's from Rilke. I want to beg you as much as I can to be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek answers that cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, Live along some distant day into the answer. It's about this, I think, the word patience is really so much to do with this practice. Of having a soft mind and uh, allowing the questions to be there. Not trying to answer everything but just trying to allow oneself to fully be present with what happens. And along some distant future, all these things, they enlighten with this, that. Maybe it'll be there. But right now, our job is just to sit in the middle of that room, to observe whatever comes in and whatever goes out, some kind of friendliness and softness and and not have too many judgment or opinions about ourselves when we uh, do take off on our have our favorite ten tapes in our head that uh, come up let's sit for a minute Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.